Welcome to the Animal Rescue Podcast, what you always wanted to know but didn't know who to ask. I'm your host, Keisha Ferrand. This week, I talk with Sarah Hankins of the Safe Pet Program with Shelby Humane in Alabama. We discuss the work they do to support people leaving domestic violence situations. Many people choose to stay in unsafe situations because they cannot take their pets with them. Safe Pets takes in these animals to care for them while their families get the support they need to leave and get safe. Once their families are back on their feet, they're able to be reunited. Of the domestic violence shelters in Alabama, only three are able to take families with pets, highlighting the need for resources like Safe Pets. To learn more about the work they do and how you can support them, visit www.shelbyhumane.org safe pet. If you're in Alabama and can foster animals in these situations, please reach out to Sarah to learn more about the process for becoming approved. As this is a unique situation, there are strict protocols that fosters must be able to follow. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on the Animal Rescue Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I am really looking forward to this interview. Um, you are you run the Safe Pet Program at Shelby Humane in Alabama, correct? That is correct. Okay, so Safe Pet is a program that you guys have that helps um, domestic violence victims, survivors. I know different mm-hmm. groups use different terms for that. So I wanted to use both just to cover my bases. Sure. Right. Um, so you guys help families in need with their animals. Yes. Yeah. So it's basically like emergency pet care so that individuals can leave their abusive situations and seek shelter and get safe, somewhere safe themselves um, yeah. without having to worry about their pets. And how long has this program been running? Yeah. So Shelby Fumane started the program in 2018. Fairly yeah. recently then. It is. It's it's a relatively recent program. Um, we're the only one like it in the state. There are other organizations that assist people on a smaller basis, but we're the only ones that have a pretty wide uh, geographic area that we work with. Okay. So you guys cover all of Shelby County? So we cover all of Shelby County, but we're actually in 20 counties throughout the state. Oh, um, really? Primarily in North and Central Alabama. Okay. How, because you're run through Shelby Humane, now I am in Colbert County Mm -hmm. and I know the county shelter here is limited to supporting only animals within the county. Correct. And so how does Shelby Humane have the ability to support so many counties? Sure. So the Safe Pet Program is funded largely by a grant by the Department of Justice. So that is a a grant that we uh, get on a yearly basis. We have to reapply for it every year. That is largely where most of our funding comes from. Um, We do also get funding from a variety of other grants that our specific program qualifies for. And, you know, that allows us to focus specifically on a specific demographic with those funds to run our program. Um, Ultimately, you know, our goal is to be statewide. Wow. 
what is the process for someone who wants to or needs to utilize the program? Sure. So we are a referral-based program. So an individual has to be receiving services of some sort themselves. So we get referrals from our domestic violence shelter partners. We have uh, seven of those currently um, throughout the state. We can, um, on a case-by-case basis, accept referrals from other DV shelters that we are not specifically partnered with that are out of our primary 20-county service area. Again, that's on a case-by-case basis. But what somebody does is if they're needing our services um, and they call us directly, um, we find out what geographic area that they're in. So that lets us know what shelter they will be under the umbrella of. Um, and we will refer them to that organization. And they don't have to be re- accept emergency housing from the DV shelter. We encourage it because they will get all the services that they can be offered from that organization if they do that. But they have to be receiving services of some sort. So they, you know, often, you know, mental health services, um, sometimes it's court advocates and that sort of thing, legal advice and services through those organizations. Um, We can also receive referrals from mental health providers that are independent or working with other agencies outside of a DV setting. So if an, an individual you know, is already working with a mental health professional, um, we can certainly receive referrals from those individuals. If they're working, you know, with the court, we can get um, referrals from court advocates, as well as um, law enforcement, you know, depending on the circumstances and everything. Um, So once we get that paperwork and everything, then we can come in and coordinate exactly like what services do they need from us. So that can vary from they need housing for their pet. And initially we were providing services for 60 days just because of where the housing market is um, and some delays in court processes and everything. Most people are utilizing our services for closer to 90 days. In rare instances, it's been longer. and again, and that's on a case-by-case basis. So in those circumstances where we we need to take, and it's, I would say it's temporary guardianship of the pets. Uh, the owners do not relinquish the ownership of their pets to be in our care. It's just like a guardianship. They come into our temporary custody to provide housing, um, veterinary care, that sort of thing. On the other end, you know, it may be that they have a friend or family member that they're able to stay with, but they had to leave all their pet supplies behind. Um, and in those instances, you know, we can provide crates, food, um, bowls, you know, anything that they would need to basically restart with that pet. So they can still receive our services so long as they're working with um, a partner organization that we can receive a referral from um, and everything like that. From what I understand or what I'm gathering from this is you guys provide uh, supplies as necessary to individuals mm-hmm. leaving domestic violence situations. When the animals come into your care, do you pro- is it a foster home? Do they 
stay at the shelter? What's that like? Sure. So um, for safety purposes and confidentiality purposes, um, animals um, that come into my program are not housed at the shelter. Um, They are never public facing. We um, do our best to that nobody knows that that animal or that individual are receiving services from our program. Yes, 100%. We we try to get every animal that comes into our care into a foster home. Sometimes that's not possible for a variety of reasons, uh, school schedules, uh, holidays and everything. Um, So we do have uh, boarding partners um, that we also work with. Um, So that could be at vet clinics that could be uh, individual boarding facilities um, that provide services for us. And we do try to move animals out of the community that they come from for extra security and privacy purposes. And our boarding um, partners um, have systems in place to protect the identity of both the owner and the animal. Because there are times where the abuser is actively looking for that animal um, because it's a controlling thing. Um, And they will use that animal relationship with the victim survivor to try to get them to come back. Um, So, you know, it's imperative that we uh, have a lot of confidentiality in place, regardless of where that animal is, be it that they're in a foster home or in a boarding facility. How did you determine which counties you were able to serve? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of it, we were actually hoping to be in about double the counties that we are currently in this year. We're in 20 this year. We were hoping to be in 41, but our funding was not where we were hoping it would be. So we had to scale down. Um, And part of it right now, it's just me that runs this program. So a lot of it, reasonably what I felt like I could get to within a reasonable drive time and response time. Because as you can imagine, a lot of these situations, um, it's not like you have a lot of advanced time to plan and prep and everything. So it is very fluid situations. So a lot of it was just, you know, we're, we're, Shelby Humane, we're, we're located in central Alabama. So it was reasonably, you know, what areas did I think that we could get to um, within a reasonable time frame? And what areas was I most familiar with that we could build up our resources in those areas as far as veterinary partners and boarding facilities? I have more than a decade experience in the animal welfare industry. So I already had some relationships throughout the state. So I kind of built on those locations, just knowing them geographically and what I felt I could reasonably fill out and and have in place so that we could have a pretty quick response time when we would get those referrals in. Um, and that's ultimately how we, we scale down to our current 20 counties. In 2021, 2022, we were only in seven counties. Oh, So you can, so we had a pretty large um, jump this current fiscal year. And a lot of that was based off of um, building out relationships and finding, you know, where the need was. Organizations that had reached out to us the previous year for potential referrals. And again, a lot of that is dependent on our funding and where, you know, how many animals can we 
provide care for. So that's, that's ultimately what dictated our current geographic area. Yeah. Are you looking to expand the level of support that you have throughout the state? So finding um, other coordinators that are maybe strategically located to help alleviate some of that time yeah, that that's actually part of the the big picture. Um, again, it's totally dependent on funding. You know, we we had hoped to eventually have a coordinator down in South Alabama, um, one or two down in those regions, um, maybe in the southeast and in kind of the Mobile area that could cover basically Montgomery South as well as maybe somebody centered up in the Huntsville area um, that could cover the north and then have somebody here in central Alabama. But obviously, I mean, to, to do that, you know, you have to have funding for, you know, not only your employees to cover salary and everything, but also funding to provide care to additional families looking for assistance and everything. We are set so far this, this year, we, we, we are going to exhaust all of our funding um, that we got this year. And, um, you know, kind of a little bit what's different, you know, especially with when we're applying for um, our primary grant is we have to budget a year in advance yeah. um, how many animals we anticipate caring for, how many families we anticipate working with, our vet expenses, all of that we have to submit more than a year in advance and wait to see what type of funding we will be granted. And we are always looking for additional funding sources, be that other grants um, or individuals that um, would like to support this program, as well as people who are interested in fostering. If, you know, if, if somebody's in a particular, you know, community and they're interested in fostering for us, we would you know, love to utilize our services. Just because of the nature of the population that Safe Pet works with, there is additional uh, background checks and screenings and uh, training specifically for our volunteers just to kind of educate them on the population that we work with and safety factors in place so that we keep everybody safe while they're in, you know, utilizing our services and everything. Yeah, that was going to be my next question when it comes to, you know, expanding and having more coordinators or support throughout the state. I mean, what sorts of safety measures need to be in place to keep both the victim survivors safe as well as the people and pets involved? Sure. So the the number one thing is that there there's no public facing of the animal, no identification that the animal is in this particular program. Um, if the animal is in, you know, regardless if they're in a foster home or in a boarding facility, you know, if for some reason somebody needs to identify the animal outside of, you know, somebody that they're just providing care for, we, we, you know, we tell them to just identify them as a regular foster. Do not identify them as a safe pet foster or go into any detail over the circumstances of that animal. There are times that we will, you know, change the animal's name for safety purposes. We ask that the animal never be no pictures posted on social media platforms or anything like that for safety purposes. So we have we have plans in place to protect all parties involved. And again, you know, 
especially if we're putting an animal in a foster home, we will try our best to have them not in the community that they originated from. So that if that um, foster has them, you know, out for walks or anything like that, um, the likelihood that anyone might recognize that animal, you know, is very slim. We, we do everything we can to reduce the chances that somebody would uh, identify the animal. Yeah. How many animals or and or families do you typically serve in a year? Yeah. So last year we served 30 animals. This year we are on, we are, we've already surpassed that. Um, and we have two more months left in our fiscal year. So we are at close to 35 animals served this year. Like I said, we've, we've got two additional months left. I fully anticipate that we will have more animals come into care during that time frame, based off of previous years. And that is, you know, 35, 40 animals that we, you know, provide veterinary care for. We, um, if they come into our care and they're not current on vaccinations, that's the first thing that we do with every animal is take them to the vet. Um, we, they get a full snout to tail exam in the event that, you know, there has been any abuse or, you know, we find out afterwards um, that there's concern that there may have been harm to the animal because that does happen. Um, then we've got some stuff documented from the get-go from when they entered our care. We get their vaccinations up to date. They get flea and tick treatment um, as well as dogs get heartworm preventative. Cats, we um, test them for FIV and leukemia. And if the animal is not spayed or neutered, owner, you know, wanting that done, we will coordinate that um, to have that done while they're in our care and cover those expenses for them. It's not mandatory um, that they be spayed and neutered while in our care, but um, it's highly encouraged. And we certainly talk with them about the pros and cons for their particular animals and any concerns that they have and just trying to look at things from what's in the animal's best interest. But again, you know, we want our clients that we work with to know that these are still their animals. They still have a say in their treatment. It can be very empowering for them to, you know, still maintain that ownership. It can be a really important part of the healing process, especially coming from a situation where you, you didn't have those choices. And again, we're still looking to cultivate that human-animal bond. You know, that's a certain, you know, important part of, you know, for our clients to not return back to, you know, an abusive situation. I mean, that's ultimately why our program exists is because we believe that, you know, that bond is plays a, a crucial part in the healing journey for the people we work with. Do the families get to visit their pets while they're in the program? So that that is always the number one question that we get. Okay. And currently, unfortunately, that is not something that we can facilitate. We are always looking for ways to set that up. But for safety and confidentiality reasons, we've not been able to find a way to do that yet. What we do offer is regular updates, pictures, videos to families. You know, they, they know that they can always reach out for an update. Um, they always have, you know, contact with me. All communication regarding the animals between the owner 
you know, go through myself. So there is never, you know, and that kind of goes back to the confidentiality of right. animals in a foster home. They do not communicate with the owner. All of that communication goes through me or somebody specific with Shelby Humane that um, facilitates all that communication back and forth to protect identities. And that's crucial for us. But they know that, you know, if they want an update, if they're missing them, you know, generally we provide weekly updates, but, you know, there are times, especially early on in the process where, you know, we will provide daily updates, send them as many pictures as we can to let them know how their, you know, pets are settling in and transitioning in because as much as the owner is transitioning, the pet's transitioning too. It's a stressful situation for all. So we try to reduce that as much as possible, but we do have to, again, kind of take into consideration. Um, and I guess this would go out to, you know, anybody else that would, might be looking to do this. I mean, you know, I've had animals come into care where there were air tags on the, the pets or, you know, in property of the pet and everything. So we have to take that into consideration. These are things that I've learned from my DV shelter partners um, on things that they have to be aware of as far as privacy and protection of the people that we work with, protecting identities and protecting, you know, of both the client, the animal and fosters and our partners and everything. So, you know, those are things that we we take very seriously and want to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Yeah, so we, we try to keep owners as informed and updated about their pets while they're in our care. I guess another big thing that I get from owners is like, what do I have to do to get my pet back? Do you have to do a home check? Do we do I have to sign off? Of no, this is your pet. If you're in a place where you can get them back, you tell me, I, Hey, I'm, I'm in a place to, to get them back. You know, we are not here to, you know, keep pets in our care longer than they need to be be we're happy that our program exists to do this but at the end of the day we are a pet retention program and our end goal is to get these pets back home with their owners and help facilitate that and you know not be an extra barrier for that i just want to make sure that i fully process this if someone wanted to get involved with your program because they were leaving a domestic violence situation, do they have to be associated with a mental health provider, a DV shelter, a police? Some is, Does there have to be a yes. yes. So they have to be receiving services of some sort related to the DV situation in order to receive services from us. And if at whatever time that they are no longer receiving their services, then they no longer qualify for our program. Um, another thing is, is if they move out of the state of Alabama, they no longer qualify for our program. If, if they are looking to relocate, you know, we can help try to find and they still need services. We can certainly help try to coordinate other organizations that have similar programs that we do. But before they leave the state, they need to get their pet. Once they cross their state lines, they don't qualify for our program anymore. Or again, if they're not receiving services of some sort from a partner organization, you know, at that point, they they don't want to receive services from us. If they reach out to you directly, 
and they aren't connected with services, do you help get them connected? Yeah. So we like, yes, 100%, you know, uh, we will, um, depending on what their needs are. And sometimes that is just, you know, mental health counseling. Um, sometimes they need court advocates. Sometimes they need a, a protection from abuse, restraining order, and we can direct them to organizations that, that can help get that, um, kind of walk them through that process. And once they're connected, you know, then we step back from that part of the process and everything. Um, but yes, we, we keep a list of resources um, available throughout the state. I actively work with the Alabama Office of Prosecution and in contact with that, them, as well as area law enforcement and everything. So, you know, we, we can get them co- connected to whatever services are needed. And then once they are receiving their services, then those organizations are the ones who provide us referrals. We cannot, you know, we, we don't schedule um, pet intakes or anything until we have those referral forms from whatever, whatever organization they're going to be working with. And that is because you guys get grant funding, you have to have that. Correct. Yeah, there's there's a lot of paperwork and hoops to jump through because of our, our grant funding um, that we get. It's also a little bit of a safety mechanism for us. Um, you know, we certainly have people who are experiencing other circumstances that, you know, they do need assistance with pets for, but may not you know, be domestic violence related or intimate partner violence related. Um, And in those cases, you know, we try to connect them with other resources in the area. But because of the the majority part of our budget is from uh, the Department of Justice, um, they have very specific requirements over how that funding is spent um, and the requirements that we have to meet for, for that clientele. If people wanted to get involved with your program from the either as a foster or to donate, how how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so I would say start by visiting the Shelby Humane website at shelbyhumane.org. If you look under programs, there is a page specifically for Safe Pet, um, and that will take you to our Safe Pet specific page. If somebody's interested in donating, um, there is a link directly on that page that funding specifically goes to this program. And um, we also have uh, Amazon wish lists on there over items that we need. We don't stock up on a lot of items. Um, most of the items that are listed are items that are actively needed for animals in care. And um, if they're interested in fostering, they can either fill out um, a foster application through the website um, as well under our foster program. Um, They can specify that they're only interested in fostering for the Safe Pet program. Um, That's one of the questions. They can specify that. Um, If they don't want to be a general foster for the shelter, um, we can certainly accommodate that. And just let us know the area that they live in um, and everything. And we can kind of get them set up with what the process looks like for becoming a safe pet foster. Again, like I said, that comes with additional, well, it comes with background checks that are, you know, required for our specific program. And then some specific training that we do for those individuals who are going to be fostering for um, safe pet as far as, you know, kind of guidelines, 
and safety precautions and everything that you won't see within a general foster situation. What about um, people who may yeah. not be able to foster or financially support the program? What are other ways that people can help out? Sure. So I would say sharing our link for um, with their network for somebody who who might want to uh, you know donate. They can always do like. I know I see a lot of the uh, Facebook birthday day, birthday fundraisers. I think sharing our wish list um, are a huge way. And just educating people about our program. Because, I mean, within the state of Alabama, where you're looking at nearly 38% of women experience independent partner violence and nearly 30% of men. Um, that's just within our state. So the likelihood that you know somebody that is in this situation and you might not be aware of it is very high. You know, people find out about a program mostly through word of mouth. A lot of people will not leave their pets behind because the, you know, abuser is threatening harm to their animal. So they will delay seeking shelter for themselves because out of fear that their pet's going to be hurt or maybe their pet's been hurt. So um, just word of mouth, letting people know that, you know, our program exists and just sharing that if they have social media and everything um, is a huge help for our, for, for our organization and everything. Kara, thank you so much. This has been such a great learning experience for me. Um, you know, I've been I, in my work life I've had involvement very superficially with DV work and um, to have this put together with the animal welfare side of me is just truly I've had chills like this entire interview so um, I really hope that this helps get the word out for your program. And I know there are other programs like this throughout the country. And so I hope people look for them and spread the word because this is such an important message to get out there. Well, I thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk about um, our program. Um, and hopefully some people that didn't know we existed now know that we exist. And certainly if they're not in Alabama, yeah, do a little Google search or reach out to your local domestic violence shelter to find out if there is a similar program in your area, because I'm certain that they would love some assistance and everything as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have ideas for future guests, please email me at theanimalrescuepodcast at gmail.com or follow me at theanimalrescuepod on Instagram.